0: turning your Bible to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 and Mark chapter 10. We're finishing this series this morning as you're turning your uh, bi- in your Bible. I want to go ahead and make an announcement this morning. as you uh, many of you know, uh, Pastor Mike and Jessica, this is their last Sunday here at Kingwood with us. So tonight we're going to have a uh, kind of a going away celebration for them. I want to encourage you to be here. Um, and, and uh, be a part of that, uh, those are special times uh, to reminisce, to hug, uh, to love each other. But there are also spiritual moments. Uh, transitions in the kingdom are, are, are times where... Um, I don't think we've, we've oftentimes in the church thought enough about the spiritual significance of them and what they mean. So uh, tonight, come out, there'll be a time of prayer time of fellowship, it'll be good. And I want to go ahead and announce to you this morning what our plan is beyond uh, tonight's celebration service. We're going to take what I'm calling a long-term transition. Uh, What that means uh, simply is we're not receiving resumes at this time uh, to um, fill the worship pastor role at Kingwood. What we're going to do is we're going to take a long-term transition. Uh, Pastor Micah and Jessica have done such a phenomenal job training and preparing our worship team and ministry. What we're going to do is we're going to fill that leadership role from inside uh, for a time. And then and then as we get down the road later on, we'll we'll make that transition permanent. But for now, uh, Pastor Jeremy uh, is going to assume the leadership of the worship team and worship ministry at Kingwood. And then I don't know, you know, I don't I've, I've told the teams that I've talked to, I don't have like this date on the calendar that I go, this is the point. Uh, but I want to try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, sensitive to our congregation, sensitive to our worship team and all that they're doing. And uh, we're going to take a long-term transition. It may be it may be eight or ten months or, or a year or so. I don't, know, I don't know how long it'll be. But we're going to take a long-term transition. So that's our plan. Uh, tonight, come out. And, um, and uh, we're going to have a really good time together. And and uh, pray over Micah and Jessica. And release them to the place that God's taken them to. Alright, Romans chapter 8, Mark chapter 10. Finishing this series this morning, Simplify. We've talked about Simplify to Magnify. Uh, priorities, we've talked about Simplify to Amplify. Hearing God's voice. Simplify to Modify. Changing... Uh, The pace that we're on to creation time. We've talked about simplify to multiply. Talked about uh, finance and stewardship. Simplify to detoxify. Forgiveness. Today, I want to end this series here. Simplify to glorify. Several years ago, the Institute for Mental Health conducted a fascinating experience. They took a nine-foot walled-in square cage designed to comfortably house 160 mice. And as they begin to work with those mice inside that cage over two and a half years, that colony grew from eight mice to 2,200 mice. It was designed to hold 160. They started with eight. It grew to 2,200. Everything they needed was provided. Conditions were ideal. Dr. John Calhoun, who conducted the experiment, who's a research psychologist, he began to notice several very unusual behavioral changes in that colony of mice as it grew. The mice couldn't escape. They couldn't get out. There was no new frontier to take. And the colony began to disintegrate. Now, I want to read for you the behavioral changes that he noticed in that colony of mice and see if you can draw any parallels from there to, to modern cultural society today. Here's the first thing he noticed. Adults form groups or cliques of about a dozen mice in each group. The males who were normally protected their territory withdrew from leadership and became uncharacteristically passive. The females became unusually aggressive and forced out the young. I'm not making this up. These are mice. The young found themselves without a place in society and they grew to be increasingly more self indulgent. Is any of this registering? They ate, they drank, they slept, and they groomed themselves, but they showed no normal assertiveness. The fifth thing he noticed is the whole mouse society became disrupted and after 5 years the entire colony had died all 2200 What was most interesting was the strong sense of independence that that reared up inside the mice and the extreme isolation the first activity to cease in the cage were courtship and mating Now, I see no parallel there to American culture. we got lots of courtship and mating going on still. But most everything else applies. Dr. Calhoun suggested, listen to this, that if the same type of things begin to happen in society and in human society, we would first of all cease to reproduce ideas and dreams. And goals. And values. That's where we would cease to reproduce. Isn't that in a sense what you can see happening across the landscape of society? Our world is becoming increasingly large and busy and impersonal and institutionalized. Although it is extremely crowded. It is is very lonely and distant pushed together, crammed together, but disconnected, uninvolved. As painful as it is to admit, we're losing touch with each other. And too often, it's every man for itself. We're living in an increasingly self-focused society. We live in a very complicated and fast-paced world that looks starting to look more like a rat race. No pun intended. Liza Minnelli said, the thing about it is if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. Are you out there? There's a little video that I found that I think might... You know, in the South, we tend to take all the bad attributes that everybody else has in the rest of the country and just put a Christian face on them. You do understand that, don't you? We just use spiritual language to describe our our sin. (laughs) And so it becomes more acceptable. So so I found this video that that may give you a concept of if we were to take a self-focused society and make it really spiritual and put it in the context of the local church. What would that look like? Take a look at this video.
1: Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys. All right? Come here. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave.
0: You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does.
1: All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail.
0: When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax?
1: Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up.
0: How about tickets to the Super Bowl?
1: That's asking too much.
0: I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game.
1: All right, you join now and we'll get you there.
0: I like a pony
1: look in your backyard Me church where it's all about you
0: Some of you looking at me saying that's just wrong and you'd be right you know. It it appears as though in a consumeristic society there's great wisdom in focusing on yourself. But there's not. I brought a mirror this morning to sort of symbolize self focused living, a life that's focused inside its own reflection. What do I want? What do I like? What do I prefer? What's next for me? What's going to happen to me? Where 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 do I belong? Am I better than other people? Constant comparison, constant 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 self-focus. Earl Crepps who planted a church in Berkeley, California <laughs> right there in the middle. He went on this three or four year journey trying to understand what postmodernism means. And he said, I found out when I got to the end, nobody knows. He said, what I do think we've graduated to in society is the saturated self. The self that's so full, it just can't hold anymore. Full of options, full of preferences, full of our own way, full of our own thing. Serving yourself may seem wise. But serving yourself is complicated and it's exhausting. Always trying to push the envelope a little further, trying to get a little more attention, trying to get a little more money, trying to get a more advantage, complex strategies that constantly at work in your mind, trying to work out greater scenarios for yourself. People are labeled and categorized based on how they can help you get what you want. That person can help me, that person cannot. I think the business term for that is networking. That person that person has, can, can do something for me, that person can't do something for me. I'll spend time with that one because I have an advantage with them. I won't spend time with that one because I don't have an advantage with them. People are valued for what contribution they can make to our own lives. They're important because they can help me. They're not important because they can't. They're important because they do something for me. That one's not important because they don't do anything for me. A life lived that way appears on the outside to be free from the obligation and entanglement of, of what a relationship might bring and, and focused only on ourself. There's no fulfill, fulfillment in self-focused living. It's complicated. It's a lot to keep up with. Outwardly, we reject it. But if we're honest inwardly, we struggle with it in the motives of the life and the motives of the inner of the inner world we struggle with even when we do things that are good why do we do them what do we get out of it what what's behind the curtain what can we stand to gain if you compare the prominent philosophies of the world they would sound something like this the ancient greeks Philosophy of life would say, be wise, know yourself. The ancient Romans would say, be strong, discipline yourself. Religion would say, be good, conform yourself. Epicureanism would say, be sensuous, enjoy yourself. Education would say, be resourceful, expand yourself. Psychology would say, be confident, assert yourself. Materialism would say, be satisfied, please yourself. Pride would say, be superior, promote yourself. Asceticism would say, be lowly, suppress yourself. Humanism would say, be capable, believe in yourself. Legalism would say, be pious. Limit yourself. Jesus had a different philosophy than anybody else in the world. He would say, be a servant, focus on others. Flies right in the face from every prominent philosophy the world's ever generated. And that's why Jesus was able to penetrate into the darkness. Do you remember the grand announcement in Romans 8:28? Surely many of you recognize even the reference for that verse. For we know that in all things work together for the good of those that are called according to his purpose. All things. God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Have you ever read verse 29? We quote 28 so much, we either don't read 29 or go, go through it fast. Because we know in Romans chapter 8 where the, where the meaningful verse is. It's 28. Let me read 29 for you. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Do You see that little phrase tucked away in there? Conformed to the likeness of... Of his son. Do you know that God has a plan. For your life and for mine. He has a plan. Do you know what that plan is? It's to conform us. Into the likeness. Of his son. That verse begs one question. What is his son like? Look at Mark chapter 10. We're going to see what. God's son is like. If God's plan is to conform us into the image of his son, what is God's son's son like? Look at Mark chapter ten, verse forty-five. Mark ten, forty-five. Says, for even that, that's a pretty interesting word right there, isn't it? Even. Even. In other words, this guy's in a category all by himself. But even he. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. What is Jesus like? What is God's son like? If we're being conformed into the image of God's son, what is God's son's likeness? Well, Here's what's interesting about this verse. You don't need to know Greek. You don't need to know the the context of the day. You don't need to know the culture that Jesus was in. You you don't need to go back and dig in the original language of the scripture. No mixing words, plain and simple, right out front where everybody can read it on a billboard. A child can understand this. Jesus didn't come to be served. Jesus didn't come for this he came to serve even he came to serve now serving isn't a title it isn't an action so many times i think that we misunderstand what servanthood is we think we can we think it's an action serving is not an action serving is not a title serving is an attitude it's an attitude that that moves from the inner life out to the extremities of the person. Serving is an attitude. If you want to simplify your life, <laughs> I wouldn't encourage you to serve, I would encourage you to become a servant. It's two different things. Everybody at some point in their life serves somebody. But that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that they're a servant. What I would encourage you to do is take the way of Jesus. He didn't come to be served, he didn't come. To focus on himself. Well, we know the story. When Jesus came on earth, I'd encourage you to be conformed in his image, put down the mirror, and pick up the towel. The towel is the symbol that shows us Jesus' own nature and character. He became, even he became a servant. Pick the towel up and serve those who he led. Serve those who He discipled. At the last communion meal that Jesus shared with His disciples, just hours before He was going to be crucified, the disciples were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. You know, it's like kindergarten class all over again. Who's going to sit by Him? Shotgun. Who... Who's going to sit by him? Who's going to be in that seat? Who's going to be closest? Who's going to be gone? He's talking about leaving. We don't know where he's going. We don't know what that means. But when he's gone, who's going to take over? Who's next in line? And if he'd have waited too much longer, one of them might have crucified him. Who's going to be greatest? You know. You know, I thought about that. I don't think that argument was really about who's going to be greatest. Let me tell you why. I think that argument was not about who's going to be the greatest. I think that argument was about who was not going to be the least. Most of us have a pretty good idea that in most areas of life, we're not going to be the greatest. And most of us are okay with that, but nobody wants to be least. And what we say is, all right... Look, look, God, I'm okay with second or third. I want to be last. And I think a lot of times the arguments that arise over who's going to be first have everything to do with the fear of being last. And the earlier I get in the argument, the, the, the less I'm going to fall down the line when it starts to trickle. So if I get in right up front, then at least, at least I want in there. You know what's so fascinating about this night? Remember, Jesus was sharing his last communion meal with his disciples. And at that meal, the Gospel of Luke says, they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And you can almost see this thing play out. There they are at the table just debating and yakking and, you know. How how do you feel when your children argue? Doesn't it just hurt your heart? Nobody wants that. But here Jesus is with these men that he's birthed into the kingdom. And there they are. And they're going to take his place. And he's hours from being crucified. And they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Or they're arguing about who's not going to be the least. And it's so interesting what Jesus does. As the disciples are debating over it, Jesus slips away from his seat. He picks up a towel and a water basin. And he starts to pour it. And he carries it over and he reaches down and he starts to wash the nasty animal dung from between the toes of the men that he loved and served. And he said, we don't have to debate this anymore. I'll take the least spot. I'll be least. The argument settled. I'll be the least one in the room. It's the day that the greatest went to the least. The most went to the least. And Jesus settled it. Now that, now that's a phenomenal spirit. That is a, that's not natural to us. I don't know if you, that's natural to us. This is natural. This is not natural. And you're not going to get here on accident. You know what though? It's simple. I didn't say it was easy. This life is much simpler than this life. This life has a lot less worry and a lot less care and a lot less anxiety. This life has a lot of trauma and a lot of problems. You, you know, I don't know what the statistics are, but I bet if you could find them, the, the county or the region of America where there's more people in psychiatric care and more people on, on drugs to sedate and to control and to support themselves is probably somewhere in the Hollywood region. Somewhere where people focus on themselves the most, they become the most damaged. But somehow or another, this life is a simple one. No confusion. Don't need to know Greek. Don't need to have an education. Don't need to have a degree. You don't even need to be able to read. Son of man came, not to be served, but to serve. Did you know in the average church in America, 20% of the people in the church do all the serving? Did you know that? 20%? What does that tell us? Well, what it tells me is, is that we got a lot of believers out there who are not being conformed into the likeness of God's Son. Conformed into the likeness of God's Son. This morning the message is, Simplify to glorify. Simplify to glorify. If you want to know how well you're doing in serving, and remember, serving is not an action. Serving is an attitude. Let me give you some questions this morning. If you're taking notes, you might want to just jot these down. Let me give you some questions to ask yourself that will reveal where your attitude is at in regards to being conformed In the likeness of God's Son. It'll reveal where your attitude's at in regards to simplifying your life, to being a servant, not not necessarily doing we get caught up in that. It's your being. What your being is. If you're if you become the right thing, the right things will flow from you. But you can't just do the right things and make it happen. Here's a question. Am I defensive when I'm confronted? Now, that might seem to have nothing to do with servanthood. But let me explain to you why it does. The more Christ-like I am in my attitude, the less defensive I am when someone confronts me. Being non-defensive says, I'm willing to be held accountable. Being non-defensive says, it's a basic philosophy in life that says this, I have nothing to prove and I have nothing to lose. You know why? I don't own anything. Because I'm a servant. (laughs) So I am open to full evaluation. Because I'm not my own. Attitude. It has everything to do with attitude. If I'm defensive, I'm claiming property somewhere. If I'm defensive, I'm claiming stake on something. If I'm a servant, I own nothing. Here's the second one. Am I more conscious... Of what I need or what other people need? Am I more conscious of my preferences? Well, I like it like this and I, I want that and I want it up and I want it down. I want it hot and I want it cold and I like to go eat here and I want to do that. Am I more conscious of my preferences or other people's? It tells you a lot about your, about your attitude. Here's one that's pretty Interesting. When I walk into a room, do I know what to do with myself? You ever go in a room and not know what to do with yourself? Just kind of trying to find a corner? <laughs> kind of trying to scope the room out and figure out where, where you fit in there? There may be other things re- involved, but can I tell you what part of the issue is? You're walking in the room with a mirror in front of you. And you're looking at yourself. How am I going to sound? How am I? You ever have somebody introduce themselves to you? You can't remember their name because you were so focused on saying your name. Well, we're tiptoeing through the tulips now, aren't we? Huh? What they say sounds like hi. I'm blah 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 blah. blah. It's like the teacher on uh, Peanuts. Wah, 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 wah. And then we've got this thing memorized that we're going to say because we're trying to project a good image of ourselves. That has a lot to do with our attitude. It has a lot to do with where our focus is. When you go into a room as a servant, it's, it's not complicated. It's not simple. You just focus on everybody else. <laughs> That's complicated, isn't it? Just focus on everybody else. I didn't say it was easy. <laughs> it's simple. Here's the fourth question. Let me give you the true test of a servant. And you'll want to write this down. The true test of a servant is, do I act like one when I'm treated like one? When somebody treats me like a servant, do I take offense or do I act like a servant? Am I secure enough in my identity in Christ? Do I know who I am in Jesus enough to be treated like a servant by somebody else? And then to, and then to act like one. It's not easy, is it? But it's not complicated. You know, when we were on our men's retreat this weekend, it was phenomenal. Such an incredible. It's there's some things that you can't describe. I just said a retreat like this is good. And it just it's just you can talk all day and feel like you talk around it. Never really describe what it was. It was just there's some things in life. That just seemed pure and good, and it was just good. I met a man uh, from our church at the retreat, and you know what he said to me, uh, or he said to somebody else. They were talking. Somebody else told me he wouldn't say it about himself. I don't think. They said, "Oh, this is so and so over here," and I said, "You know what? He and his family uh, uh, served in our nursery at Kingwood Church for one solid year." Didn't take a break. I don't know. Maybe it was Sunday mornings. Didn't take a break. Served every Sunday for one year. I went, whoa. That guy, listen to me, is ready to lead. You know why? Great servants make phenomenal leaders. This guy has served in the nursery for a year. I I know a pastor who... uh, when he was pastoring and they were looking for leaders in their church, here's what they would do. They brought a guy in on staff and they were going to do a satellite campus somewhere. And he, they were interviewing him. He was going to be the, to be the satellite campus pastor. <laughs> and here's what they did. They would say, oh, well, you know, we're going to interview and we're going to talk and we're going to discuss stuff. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to look at your background and resume, all this stuff. It, but then the last thing they did is they said, all right, now, uh, on Sunday, it's said, okay, what are we going to do in service? I said, here's what you're going to do in service. I want you to go and teach the first grade Sunday school class. I'm not kids pastor. That's not my field. I'm not going to be, it doesn't matter. I want you to go and teach the first grade Sunday school class. And here's what he said he did every time he interviewed somebody to come on staff. He said, if he came out of that room after an hour of those kids and they were hanging off of him, he's the guy we're hiring him. Because kids know if you love them or not. And if you can't love a kid, what good are you pastoring? What do you you need to do pastoring? What's a kid ever done wrong that you can't love a kid? And kids know it. Kids have discernment. And if you can't love a kid, what's it about? It's simple, isn't it? It's simple. Serving will simplify your life. If you want to grow in Christ-likeness, if you want to simplify your life, if you want to learn a lot about who you really are, Find a really insignificant place and serve there. Serve in a hidden place. You know the flesh whines against serving, but it screams against hidden serving. I mean, when nobody knows what I'm doing, your flesh is dying. You want to crucify your flesh? Go find somewhere nobody will ever find you. Dig a hole there and serve in it. Find somewhere no one will ever know. No applause will ever find you. No spotlight will ever reach that far. No award will ever be given. No recognition is possible. And just serve. Why? Because it's good for your soul. It will move you from the mirror to the towel. And it will reveal a lot to you about yourself. Think about the greatest servants of our time. We don't know many, do we? But they didn't live complicated lives. I saw Billy Graham interviewed one time, he and his wife, and they asked Ruth Graham, what's his favorite meal? She said, uh, bologna and cold beans. And he lived up in a little cabin in North Carolina and evangelized probably a sixth of the world. Or preached to a sixth of the world. But a servant. Mother Teresa Think about the images of the people you know who are servants. Their life's not complicated. It's simple. Simplify to glorify. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 says this, "In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven." When I ask our worship team to come, how do you let your light shine? I, I'm, I'm going to propose something to you. This is the way that I interpret that verse. How do you let your light shine? Through your good deeds. I'm going to argue in this verse that the good deeds that make your light shine are acts of servanthood. If you'll serve the world rather than preach at it or condemn it or try to conquer it or manipulate it, then the light of the gospel will shine and dark walls will begin to be torn down what i want to ask you is who can you serve between now and march 27th that you can invite to hear a simple presentation of the gospel because that serving that serving will break walls down that serving will make the light shine actions speak louder than words who can, you, who can you serve? Simplify to glorify. Several years ago, uh, I had the opportunity on one of the missions trips I took to go to Argentina. And all I can say to you is, the furthest I've ever been to the edge of the earth was where the missionary took us on this one trip. We, we, went, and, uh, we went and did evangelistic outreaches in in parks. And we'd tie animal balloons and we would do puppet shows and we would do skits and we would sing and we would pray with people in the parks and then we'd go and do church services at night. But this one year, the missionary took us to this forsaken place that it was on the end of the earth. He said, we're going to have to park. And we drove till I thought, uh, the, the earth was going to end. I thought we were going to fall off the edge of the earth. And he said, we're going to have to park and we have to walk about a mile because you can't take cars back where this is. And we went to this little place. Uh, it was a three-room block building. It wasn't very big. And it had bunk beds stacked three high made out of simple two-by-fours all the way around it. And what it was is it was a... It was like a teen challenge. It was a drug and alcohol and crime and whatever, whatever you had. And they told us, they said, uh, there, there are ex-mafia members from uh, Argentina, Buenos Aires, that are in here. There are murderers. There are criminals. There are all types in here. And there are about 45 men that lived in that little hut. We had to walk on boards that were planked end to end through the mud to get there. And we got there. And here's this little, little team of people from Florida, you know, bright eyed. And we go in and I told them, I said, look, we don't have sound. We don't have electricity. We don't have nothing. I told the team, I said, listen, I want you to go in there and I want you to act like there are 5,000 people in that room. And I want you to worship God. And we know one song in Spanish and I want you to do that one. And we know some in English, and they're not going to know it. But I want you to worship like they're going to know it. And I want you to do the human video. And the human video, we had people literally almost at the toes of the people doing the drama like this. you know. And I said, I want you to go, and I want you to pour your heart out. And we went into that little forsaken place and, and ministered Christ in His power. And that place fell apart. It absolutely, I mean, it was. We we didn't do good. We did our best, but it was just crammed, and there were guys sitting on bunks three high all the way around the room just to fit. And the floor was dirt and cold. It was the winter. We were in there. You could see smoke come off our breath as we were ministering. But that there's Jesus was in that room. He was in there, and those men cried, and they broke. And the missionary looked at me and he said, they're so moved because this is the place that no, nobody will come. They don't have people come here and preach or teach or talk. Nobody comes here. And when we went to leave, I went outside. And this this guy came up to me. I don't know what his background was. He was broken. And he he had on the three shirts that he owned because it was winter. They had no heat. He took one of those three shirts off and he handed it to me. And he couldn't speak English. But he just kept telling the missionary. And I said, I told the I said, I can't, I can't take this. It's all he has. He, I said, I got more clothes in my suitcase in the room than this guy owns. And I said, well, he'd be offended if I don't take it. He said, it would be a joy to him if you'd take it. You'd bless him if you took it. And so I took it. And I hugged him. And as we walked those little planks, back to the muddy grounds of Argentina let me tell you what was on my mind I didn't want to be great I didn't want to be a great leader I didn't want to be a great pastor I didn't even want to be good at anything when I left that mud hole I was just grateful at least for that moment that I was serving somebody else If your life is complicated, it might be complicated because you're self-focused. If you want to simplify your life, take a towel and start to serve. And your life will take on profound meaning. And some of the complicated things that are worrying you and they cause fear and worry and anxiety will go away.